Hobbs Furniture, featuring Lodge and Adirondack styles as well as rustic collections, with showrooms at Lake Wallenpapik, downtown Honesdale, and Milford, PA. Van Gorder's Furniture brings the outdoors inside. VanGorders.com From Dog Mountain Lodge, providing dog boarding and grooming, also boarding cats, birds, and other exotic pets. Located in Keshekta, New York, and on the web at DogMountainLodge.com. And from listeners like you. Support for WJFF Radio Catskill comes from the River Reporter newspaper in Narrowsburg, New York. RiverReporter.com. From the Women's Health Center in Homesdale, Hamlin, Waymart, Carbondale, and Lords Valley in Pennsylvania. Physicians and certified midwives who deliver. The Women's Health Center is a Wayne Memorial Community Health Center. WMH.org. Well, good evening, and welcome to another edition of Let's Talk Vets right here on Radio Catskill WJFF. And I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg. Glad to be here. Welcome. This is where we discuss vet-centric topics, the good, the bad, and the ugly, in the hope that listeners will better understand our veterans, our veterans will know that they're not alone, and perhaps, just perhaps along the way, We'll learn a little something about each other. We sincerely hope to accomplish this mission. Tonight, Colonel Christopher Holchek, U.S. Army retired, will discuss how service to others is critical to the development of our young citizens and the future of our nation. Heath Phillips is a Navy vet and a survivor of military sexual trauma. Heath will explain what he's done to help stem the tide of this aberrant crime. But first, here are your military dates of note for July. July 1st, the Women's Army Corps and Cadet Nurses Corps were established in 1943, and the Air Force Nurses Corps established in 1949. July 2nd, the U.S. Army Air Corps was established way back in 1926. July 4th, of course, was Independence Day. July 27th was the signing of the Korean War Armistice in 1953. July 28th, World War I began in 1914. And July 30th, the Navy Women's Reserves, or WAVES, was established in 1942. A house divided against itself cannot stand. These were, of course, the immortal words from Abraham Lincoln's first address to the Illinois State Republican Convention on June 16, 1858. More than a thousand delegates met in the Springfield, Illinois State House for the Republican State Convention. At 5 p.m., they chose Mr. Lincoln as their candidate for U.S. Senate, running against Democrat Stephen A. Douglas. At 8 p.m., Abraham Lincoln delivered his address to his Republican colleagues. The keynote was a timely admonishment for those assembled and indeed the nation at large in 1858, and I think is equally relevant today. It was just four years earlier that the Republican Party rose from the ashes of the Whig Party, primarily over the issue of slavery. By 1860, southern states were threatening to secede from the Union if the Republicans won the presidency. In November 1860, Mr. Lincoln was elected president, and by March of 1861, six southern states made good on their promise to secede. And, of course, in April, the Civil War began when Confederate shore batteries fired on Fort Sumter. Now, President Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, New Year's Day, 1863, as the nation approached its third year of the bloody Civil War, 
the proclamation declared, quote, that all persons held as slaves are and henceforth shall be free. With the end of the Civil War in 1865, divisions still ran deep. But Southern Democrats continued to fight the war of northern aggression, as they call it, by enacting hundreds of local laws designed primarily to disenfranchise black Americans. These are, of course, the infamous Jim Crow laws we hear so much about today in the context of voting rights. The war on civil rights continued underground. In 1963, President John F. Kennedy introduced what would become the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Again, it was the Southern Democrats in the House and Senate who did everything they could to derail the effort. And indeed, the fight to win hearts and minds continues, although I would argue that today some of the legitimate complaints have been co-opted for political leverage. Of course, the Civil War was only one of many divisional issues this country has endured, so division and dissent are nothing new. It's uh, in our DNA. And once again, we are that nation divided. Today, the contention is not as clear-cut as the issue of civil rights. This deep division did not happen suddenly. No, this cancer has been metastasizing incrementally over many years. Some would simply dismiss it as the inability of succeeding generations to accept change and progress. However, to simply reject the argument on that basis is a grave mistake. There was a time when some things were clearly right and wrong. Most people instinctively know when something is wrong. It's in our DNA. It's called our conscience. Want proof? You need only consider PTSD. This affliction has been called many things, including combat fatigue, shell shock, combat exhaustion, soldier's heart. Whatever you call it, the root cause is moral injury. The debilitating affliction which happens when the mind cannot reconcile an event with the conscience. It is a risk all service members assume when they raise their hands to take the oath of enlistment. I would argue that today we as citizens are at risk for the same type of duress when we are asked in some cases or told that we must accept as normal something that is antithetical to our conscience. And if you don't, can't, or won't comply, well, you're misinformed, stupid, backward, or perhaps deplorable. So what is the solution? Another civil war? Well, I would submit we're already in it. Will we ever be unified again? Certainly not if our leadership is any indication. Some of the most consequential events and influences on the globe and our nation began with we the people. And what can mere citizens do to heal these divisions? Well, we must vote, of course, although it is clear that despite campaign rhetoric, we don't know until much later the true character of those we elect to represent us. We can demonstrate that we don't agree and refuse to comply. We can demand transparency and ask uncomfortable questions. And we can also make sure that succeeding generations know the true history of our country, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, many of the events that have shaped our world and our nation began as grassroots ideas or movements, including the revolution. This brings us to tonight's first topic, the power of the volunteer to influence and change everything, including the country. On June 19th, which is, of course, Juneteenth officially now, I had the great opportunity and the honor to speak with Colonel Christopher Holchek, U.S. Army Civil Affairs retired, at the starting point of the first Juneteenth Underground Railroad Freedom Ride in Port Jervis, following the highways and byways of the Underground Railroad throughout Orange County. The historic gravity of the Underground Railroad is undisputable. Colonel Holchek spent his career studying the geopolitical and socioeconomic drivers in countries or regions where the U.S. was engaged in conflict because understanding our adversaries is essential to success. 
Upon his retirement from military service, Colonel Holchek decided to, as he says, take a look around the place he spent his career defending. So he hopped on his Harley and drove around the country, seeing a lot of what there was to see and meeting great people all the way. He has concluded that the real power of the United States of America is in the people, not Washington, D.C. Nowhere is that people power more notable than in the countless hours of service by average Americans. Not for fame, fortune, votes, or power, but you know what? Because it's the right thing to do. That experience proved to be the genesis of the National Service Ride, which is a project to teach young people the real value of service. This organization provides adaptive, community-based platforms, leveraging veteran and other motorcycle clubs to mobilize youth participation in community and national service, to enhance and accelerate both school and service organizations' programs via hour-long seminars at schools, which connect youth with community service learning opportunities, much like a job fair, over the summer in a gap year or as part of the school curriculum. Interactive sessions help America's youth learn how they can help themselves by helping others, then show them the pathways to service learning in local, national, and international levels. This in turn fosters an empowering and unifying narrative on citizenship and service across societal lines to pass the baton of generational leadership and connect our veterans looking to give back with young citizens of all walks looking to pay it forward. Now here is my conversation with Colonel Christopher Holchek. We're here at the historic Erie Depot in Port Jervis, New York, meeting this morning with Christopher Holchek. Well, good morning to you, Doug. We're here for a very special occasion. You're a veteran. Tell us about your service. Well, I'm a retired Army colonel in a branch of special operations known as civil affairs, which has to do with population engagement. And anyone who's been kind of paying attention to what's been going on the last 20 years, the wars we are fighting right now are are very people-centric. And so our role has become much more important. Now, you know, I like to say we did Germany and Japan, you know, after the war. We helped to rebuild those countries. But what we do now is focus on engaging the population so that we can better understand the dynamics of, of what's going on in those populations that we're fighting over. And uh, we try to bring on as many people uh, to our side as we can. But, but at least what we try to do is address their issues because it's the issues that they have that the adversaries that we deal with, uh, the terrorists or whoever, try to exploit. So that's, uh, that's what we do. It's a very complex uh, very rewarding job. And you're still active, obviously, in Veterans Affairs. Absolutely. I'm a member of the American Legion post-1573 in Harriman, New York. I'm also a member of the Legion Riders. And I have a little project called the National Service Ride, which we can talk about at some time. Yep. That's how you and I had the start of our conversation Hudson, quite a while ago. Hudson Valley Test, Veterans Task Force uh, brought us together. Great group of guys. So to zero in on on why we're here, we're here specifically for a a unique event. We're here for the, I guess, the first official. And for the very first time, I can say to you, happy Juneteenth. That's correct, because it was just declared on Thursday a federal Federal holiday. holiday. Unanimously uh, approved by the Senate and uh, nearly unanimously approved by the House. So. It's one very, very rare thing that we have these days that uh, you can say we've got pretty close to full unity on. There you go. So it is officially the Juneteenth Underground Railroad Freedom Ride. That's correct. Um, And the reason why we're here at Erie Depot is America's long ride to freedom. And, and, you know, Juneteenth specifically is about the end of slavery. And uh, 19th of June, 1865, when... The Union Army told the last group of slaves in, in, in Galveston, Texas, hey, you're free persons now. It only took about two years two after years Lincoln's after uh, the emancipation. Emancipation. Well, you know, they didn't have CNN and, and smartphones <laughs> back then, but they finally got it. And, uh, and so there's been celebrations of Juneteenth ever since. And we've now morphed it into a very meaningful holiday because, you know, the end of slavery is the beginning of freedom. And, you know, you and I and many other veterans, uh, we, we dedicated a lot of our lives to the cause of freedom. 
so it's a, it's a very meaningful holiday for us today. And I and I'm I'm here in the, the Erie Depot at, at uh, Port Jervis because Port Jervis is the entry point for the Underground Railroad uh, leading into New York State. And the railroad, by the way, wasn't just the railroad itself, the Erie Railroad and the, the Delaware and Hudson Canal system, but just a lot of the road networks. And so we're going to basically trace the path of that Underground Railroad across Orange County. We'll go through Goshen, which is the capital of Orange County, obviously, and uh, then we'll move along uh, through the farms and fields of, of Orange County and into uh, Newburgh, and we'll stop at Maroney's, which is also celebrating Juneteenth today with a uh, car and bike show. So we're going to spend a little time with them. And then we'll make the final leg into Highland Falls, which, of course, you know is next to the U.S. Military Academy. And the whole town of Highland Falls has been celebrating Juneteenth. So this is going to be a real special one because we're not just doing it because we like it because it's an actual national holiday. So we're going to actually be part of the parade when we come in. That's fantastic. And uh, we've got hopefully some folks showing up from different organizations. We've gotten tried to get the word out as much as possible. We know we have the Buffalo Soldiers Riders with us today. And that's extremely meaningful. Yes, it does. And I'm, I'm going to have one of those guys lead if, if they're willing, uh, because they should lead the way in into uh, Highland Falls and through this ride. But, you know, freedom is something that we all have to enjoy. Um, if not all of us are free, then none of us are. Think about when we say the Pledge of Allegiance, right? The very end of the Pledge of Allegiance is, and liberty and justice for all. Right. Not for some, for all. Right. So we are... We're riding one more mile on the long journey to freedom that this country is on and is still on. And veterans in particular lead the way because, you know, the one thing that, that most of us don't realize is in, in addition to being the most fearsome fighting force in the world, the United States military is the single largest and most successful multicultural institution in the world. And, and going back to that idea of people-centric wars, we say a lot when we go into these war zones that with this effective fighting force, which is comprised of people with all kinds of different names, all colors, all races, all genders, you know, we represent uh, our country and what our country means when we go into these places by just being there, you know? And that's very powerful. So my message to the rest of America is, hey, if we as veterans can come together around the single purpose of defending the cause of freedom, then all of us can. So this is a day of unity and unity in the cause of freedom. Every generation needs to understand this. Every generation needs to go through this process, you know, of taking their part on the road to freedom. So this is what this symbolizes today. So we should um, act like we're all in the same foxhole because we are. We, we are indeed. Hey, look, we're going to live or die as a, as a country. I mean, Lincoln himself made that point. Right. You know, we're all going to either, you know, a house divided cannot stand. And we are all gonna we are all gonna succeed together, or we're all gonna fail together. And so that's why the freedom, uh, if if freedom is not being enjoyed as fully as it should be by everyone, then it isn't. It, it, it we are not a free nation. You know. And so we need to strive to ensure that last part of the Pledge of Allegiance and liberty and justice with liberty and justice for all. I think we could um, use your military expertise in uh, Congress today. <laughs> no politics, but we need to set the example, don't we? Yes, we With do. The veterans, just by what we do, we need to set the example. Leadership is largely through example, right? Yes, it's the most it is. powerful form of leadership. So that's what we're doing today. We're leading by example. We're showing the country that, that you know, we, we still stand for the cause of freedom for everyone. And... And everybody needs to get on board. The, the project that I'm involved in, the National Service Ride, is not about politics. It's about the country. Some people have a little difficult time trying to separate those two things. Well, since you mentioned it, what is the National Service Ride? The National Service Ride is something that I thought about putting together after I finished writing my book, which is called The Travels with Harley, 
uh, journeys in search of personal and national identity. I, when I retired from the military in 2010, I, I took my motorcycle, this, this one that you're seeing right now, and I rode it around the United States. Kind of like John Steinbeck. I, I was very inspired by John Steinbeck's idea in, in his book, Travels with Travels Charlie. Travels with Charlie, yeah. And that was his generation's book, right? Yep. So I said, you know what? I've got to close a big circle because, you know, most of us don't uh, understand that, that are not veterans that being in the military is a way of life. It's not just a job. So in order to process those 30 years, in order to process all that, those things that I had seen and done, I took a long ride around the country, and I told people, you know, I'm here to just kind of take a look at the place that I was helping to defend and, and, and serve. And, and people really liked that. And, and, and I got to talk with people along the way, and I came back with a realization that, you know what, this country is doing better than advertised. Be because the one thing I realize is it's our communities that make us a great country, not our capital. So that's why the politics are out of this. Right. When you get past the, the, past the news and past the national yeah. narrative yeah. and get out and talk to people in Port Jervis, New York, and other places. Exactly. Right? Exactly. In the yeah. towns and communities across America, we find that we have much more in common than we have in, in, at differences. Correct. Because the media likes to do that, right? They like to magnify the differences because that makes good copy, good sells advertisement. People don't like good Ratings. News. Ratings. Yeah, it's all, it's all. Everybody stops to watch a car wreck. That, that, there, hey. There you go. Right. And, and, and so the, the good news story is there are a lot of fantastic things that are happening in our communities right now in this country. And, and, and despite all the doom and gloom that you see about in the media, there are a lot. This country is I, I, I'm betting on this country big time. I, I mean, we're, we're on we're on the, we're on the up and up. Well, we might say we've been here before. Yes, we have. And, and that's that point about every generation has to face those challenges and move a little further down the road, right? And in Lincoln's time, we were, I don't know, I wasn't around, perhaps you remember, but... No, we I were, read the history. We, <laughs> we, were, uh, we were pretty well divided as well. Apps just like we are today. Right. Just like we are today. But, but somehow we, we focus, learn to focus on what's, what's important and what this country is really about, right? And this country is about, in one word, freedom. Think about that, by the way. You know, one of the things I did, I've been to 40-odd different countries. In, in, you know, I, I've served in Europe. I've served in Africa. I've served in the Middle East and Central Asia. Most of my period in the military was out serving in communities, engaging populations, right? And the one thing that's fortunate about Americans is, first of all, this country is about something, okay? So when you ask somebody, for example, I, I remember telling this to my friends in Germany, what's it like to be a German? You know, and you ask somebody there, and then you get this sort of dissertation. Right. Right? And in any other country, in America, it's, what's it like to be an American? What, what, is, what does it mean to be an American? To be free. Mm -hmm. That's what it means to be an American. Right. And Ronald Reagan made that point. He said that, you know, you can come into this country, and overnight, just simply by raising your hand and, and swearing an oath to the Constitution of the United States and becoming a citizen— you become an American because right. America is a mindset. So that that frees us from the restrictions and 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 limitations of race and religion and all these other human categorizations. Mm -hmm. um, and and we can all come together from all these different walks of life to form this magnificent experiment in self-government that we have. So when do you think the national ride will become a reality? You got any plans it, for that? It, it is becoming a reality. I'm very, very fortunate that the American Legion here in Orange County is behind us. And I have some uh, uh, events that I'm already planning. We're going to be doing a, a national service ride event. This is a national service ride event because it ties in with the meaning of the national yes. service Yes, okay. Ride. So, so it's more than the, the, the national service ride is more than just a one event. Right. But what we do is we go, what the, our main mission is we go into schools and we talk to kids about service. And what does it mean? How, what does service look like? You know, most people have these kind of weird notions. Of, oh, you got to wear a uniform and you got to carry a gun and all. No, service like freedom. Does, it's, a, it's an attitude. It, it's an attitude. It doesn't have a color. It doesn't have a, a gender. It doesn't have a race. It doesn't. It's service is something that you do for others, and by doing something for others, you're doing something for yourself. 
And that's really the missions that, that we have for the kids when we go in. And I explain, we explain what services, we get some veterans and, and police and, and uh, people who have served right lately. You know, one of the things that's really happening right now is if you've noticed this term, thank you for your service, is now being used. Yes for not just the veterans. It's being used for police and firefighters and first responders. And just because of the pandemic, we've recognized the role of of the people in the medical services. Yes. We recognize the role of um, people like my sister who works in, in Valley View Nursing Home, you know. And that's great because we're democratizing this idea of service and, and realizing, by the way, that the best way you can thank a veteran is you make your this a greater country you make this a country worth their sacrifice and their service and your service validates their service and their service validates your service so this helps to unite us right right and it, it feeds it, it feeds. feeds on itself it's on itself. I, i'm trying to start i'm trying to start a different kind of pandemic a different virus and it's the virus of service and and community service because again if you serve your community you are serving your country Right. Because it's our communities that make us great, not our, not our capital. And, and so what I, I get the kids to understand what services has it in for them. Because you always have to, you know, dealing with populations, you always got to ask the question, what's in it for me, right? What, how do they see it? Right. So. What's my incentive? What's my incentive? What's in it for me? So I explain that to them and say, well, you know, you're all trying to find jobs or go to, 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 to uh, uh, the military. Or you're trying to get, get into college or you're trying to do whatever you're going to do after high school, Right. You got to have some creds. You got to have some 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 something on your resume. Well, gee, this is something that you could put on your resume. You know, the, the 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 dilemma they have is, you know, you can't get the experience unless you get the job, and you can't get the job unless you have the experience. Correct. Right? Kind of catch twenty two. Yep. How do you how do you kind of re- resolve that? Well, the way you resolve that is go to community service because, oh, by the way, it not only helps you with the, the skill development on things like how to be part of a team, collaborative leadership. Right, problem solving in teams, teamwork, and it's a very powerful thing in the yeah. business community. We call it networking. It's, and net and network, real networking, because you know you can't find out who you are and what you're about through your smartphone. Right, right. You you find out who you are and what you're about by and engaging. in community service projects. You don't. There's not a lot of pretense. Yeah, and and oh by the way, when that's on your resume, that not only says something about your skills, but it says something about your character. Yeah. And and employers these days are not just seeing labor as a cost. They're seeing labor as an investment. Okay, they want more stability in their in their workforce. Well, and, your success is is your people's success. And exactly. And so it gives you references. It gives you all those things that you need to move forward, right? Because right. it's always about moving forward, like motorcycles. You always got to move forward because if you keep, aren't moving forward, guess what? You're down, right? Yes. And by the way, there's no reverse gear in a motorway, at least most of them. So we tell them that, and then the, the, the finale of this, how we get from third base to home, is we actually get, we have a service learning fair. Because you know a lot of schools, by the way, have a community service requirement now, especially in the honors programs. So we actually sign them up for service learning opportunities with different organizations. In so the, they don't have to even go look for it. It's right there you know, in front of them. The superintendent of Monroe, uh, vice superintendent of Monroe Library School, when I was talking to him, and they're, they're all on board, and we're going to have some schools to do this fall. He said, this is great. He says, because we have this community service requirement, right? But what we're also able to do is it's kind of like one-stop shopping. You know, when we get you, we explain this all to you. We get you all, you know, hyped up and, 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 and into the whole thing. But now we're going to walk you out and into, you know, out to the hallways and to the tables and talk to people and sign up a little service learning contract with Lions or with um, any community service, Rotary. It doesn't matter. And those guys benefit. The community service organizations benefit. Right. And, and the veteran service organizations benefit because it attracts younger people to them. And they learn more about them and what they do. So it's a kind of a recruiting event at the same time. And the high schools benefit because they get they, it helps them with their learning outcomes that they they have you know to produce better citizens and 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 uh, and and people who are going to grab that baton from us and move the country forward. Well, keep me in the loop, will you? You bet. You bet. Yeah. Look forward to talking again. Christopher Holchek, thank you for joining us on Let's Talk Vets, WJFF Radio Catskill, and thank you. Thank you, Doug, and thank you for your service. Thank you.
Now, the National Service Ride, in cooperation with local American Legion riders, conducted a seminar right here in the area at the Service Learning Fair at the Pine Bush High School's annual Summer Leadership and Law Academy on Monday, July the 5th. And at some point in time, we will report back to you on how that went. And if you want to learn more about the National Service Ride, you can check out their website at www.nationalserviceride.net. You're listening to Let's Talk Vets on Radio Catskill, WJFF. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg. Military sexual abuse is unfortunately alive and well. But did you know that statistically more men than women are victims? Recently, we spoke to a gentleman named Heath Phillips, a survivor of military sexual trauma, about his horrendous experience and what he is doing to raise awareness. Okay, so to start with, would you give us a little thumbnail sketch of your service? Um, I joined the Navy in 1988, 17 years old. I actually signed on a dotted line on my 17th birthday. Boot camp a few days later, and then... Uh, Spent just under two years in, and due to um, assaults and things like that, um, I was released out of the Navy and spent 20 years drunk and nine years fighting for help and found out that uh, I finally got a discharge, my discharge fixed. So that, that's roughly in a nutshell. Okay, when most folks hear about or we discuss military sexual trauma, we tend to think as the males as the perpetrators and females as the victims. And what folks don't realize is that many male service members have been victims as well, and and you are one of those. Yes. So you were 17 years old, following basic in AIT in 1988. You were assigned to, what was the name of the ship? The ship's name was the USS Butte AE-27. It was a ammunition ship stationed out of uh, weapons, Earl's Weapons Depot in uh, New Jersey. Okay, so it was literally your first day on your first duty assignment, your first weekend, that you first were weekend. sexually molested. Yes, sir. Were there a number of people involved in this? Uh, I had six assaulters. That's, that's in My entire 10 months of uh, the assaults, I, uh, it was from six guys down to three guys. Okay, so it continued over a period of 10 months? Yes. Oh, my. Okay, well, just for our listeners to put this in perspective, let's quantify military sexual trauma, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. It seems that the latest information we can find is always dated. So I have that an estimated one in four female veterans and one in 100 male veterans in the VA healthcare system, report experiencing military sexual trauma. It's important to note that the percentage of women are uh, at greater risk of MST, but nearly 40% of veterans who disclose MST to the VA are men. Mm-hmm. Now, when you and I talked about this, when we were setting this up preliminarily, you said, well, the, the statistics are misleading because of the amount of physical amount of men in the service versus women. So the statistic is a little bit misleading. Correct. I mean, if you look at body count, um, there's more men in the military. Uh, You know, military, all branches are male dominant. And this is something that um, I've played over my mind over and over and over. I've brought it up numerous times. Uh, One in 100 sounds like, oh, there's only 100 guys getting assaulted. And then one in four women oh every fourth woman if you look at body count there's actually more men that have been sexually assaulted and harassed in the military than women but to me at the end of the day this is not a gender's issue this is a human issue and that's why i have i've always had a problem with percentages because it can sway and make people's mind thinks totally different yeah well statistics are wonderful things you can do just about anything you want with them Correct. Uh, now, you reported you reported this. How long after this began did you come forward and report to your superior? Very next day. <laughs> they jumped right on it, right? 
Oh, no, they jumped on me, threatened me. Um, I was underage. Um, I drank and get me in trouble. This doesn't happen in the Navy. I'm a mama's boy. I'm a liar. It was all my fault. And the whole 10 months was all my fault. And you subsequently left uh, with a um, less than honorable discharge? Um, they call it other than honorable. It was in lieu of court-martial. You were going to be court-martialed for being the victim? Yeah, yeah for, uh, I was being court-martialed for missing ship's movements. Mm. That, that was my charge. I missed ship's movements. What, and, is that, what does that mean? Uh, so my ship, I was assaulted uh, horrifically, and I went AWOL. Stayed on base. My ship left to go on um, what they call a Mediterranean cruise which means they're going to be out to sea for six months doing um, maneuvers with the entire fleet. And I turned myself in as soon as the ship left because I thought I'd be safe on base. And instead, I got sent back to my ship. And the only thing that I had gotten in trouble for was missing ship's movements. And they, they threatened me, you know, you're going to get 30 years if you take it to court martial and you lose, you know, 18 years old that those numbers are scary and i wish i knew then what i know now because i would have fought it okay. you know it probably wouldn't have been any different but you so, know they never brought up my sexual assaults my lawyer kept bringing that up and they didn't want to hear it or they didn't allow that testimony they, oh, well so they were agreeing to that yes this was happening but he missed ships movements Okay. So aside and, you know, aside from anything else, beside the fact that you were sexually abused, and from that point on, I mean, the only thing that mattered was that you missed the the ship leaving port. Yes. Hmm. Hard to believe, ain't it? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. military sexual assault and abuse is, has been almost always investigated within the chain of command of the unit where the offense occurred. And to add insult to injury, as we just discussed, um, members that do leave the service often leave with an other than honorable discharge. Now, the new Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, has initiated a program to change this. Uh, do you expect to see any some real changes to correct this? It sounds good on paper. It sounds good on media. It sounds good in social media. I, I speak at the military all over the world. I, I share my experiences. We talk about prevention. We talk about bystander intervention. We talk about ways on figuring out who a perpetrator is. They keep continually blaming a program that is only designed, well, it's not only, but the main design is to help the victim, not to prevent it. And they started this 90-day uh, review thing. My name has been dropped in the hat numerous times for me to be a part of that review to discuss what I do, you know, because I'm in the trenches daily. They don't want nothing to hear from me. They brought in all these experts that not one of them, or if there is, there's only one, are survivors. And that's not how you combat things. You, you don't ask a surgeon to go and study a dentist's job and see if the dentist is doing it right. You have to actually bring the victims or the survivors and and discuss what they've gone through, go through all sorts of different avenues. I'll be honest with you, taking it out of chain of command, I see it working to a point. But I also know in my heart, and I hate to say this, that we'll never eliminate sexual assault within our military. Because it does, doesn't happen in our military. It happens in society as well. And we can't eliminate it in society, so how are we going to eliminate it in the military? We can curb the numbers. We can hold people accountable. But we don't even do that. So you think that institutionally that um, built-in deniability will always be there? This can't happen in the military? Yeah, I mean, because we, we still keep talking about hazing. Hazing still keeps going on. Sexual assault still keeps going on. You know, we just heard the, the Fort Sill case where the girl had uh, 20-something perpetrators. You know, this stuff is still happening, and it's happening under the noses of everybody. 
look at how many years that Congress is putting all these mandates on bills and things. And I know because I've helped work on some of them. And nothing happens. It's still happening. It's still going on. People are still getting away with it. There is, I think, eight people on death row at uh, Fort Leavenworth for sexual assault charges. They'll always be on death row because we don't have a penal system in the military where we do kill them. You know, we're not killing them, which, okay, whatever. But the problem is, is looking at the reports of how many people actually get convicted. That is the big issue. Where are the convictions? Why are these people getting swatted on the hand? You know, we, we, we need to hold these perpetrators accountable. Just like we do in society, they're held accountable. So you endured this abuse for 10 months. Uh, you lasted two years in the military and finally um, got out with an other than honorable discharge. And as you said at the onset, you were drunk for 20 years. And uh, so when you finally sobered up, at what point did you decide to start telling your story and, and, and why? And how did you go about that? It must have been a very difficult decision. Uh, the first time I really spoke about what I went through was um, with an organization called Protect Our Defenders. They um, started um, really looking into the sexual assault aspects of the military they reached out to me because, you know, I, I had been doing all this reaching out myself, trying to figure out what, you know, what's going on in my head. And they came in and they video, they did a small video of me. And then Congresswoman Jackie Spear met me and had me come in with them in D.C. to introduce a bill that she was introducing. This was 2011. I never really, when I first started speaking about it, really shared uh, details and I probably never will fully share everything that I went through. But, and the first thing I started doing was actually, I spoke in Congress and I spoke in the Senate. And 2015, just out of a fluke, Fort Drum reached out to me and wanted to know if I would speak in their uh, Sexual Assault Awareness Month in April. And I'm like, yeah, sure. And that opened up the can of worms for me. And, that is what propelled me to constantly keep doing that because it's not that I'm good at it. It's I'm able to share my story. I'm able to get people to really hear from a survivor and really get a perspective of what a person goes through. Unless you have been in them shoes or know somebody it is, it's clueless. How often when you're doing these, do you glance about the room and see the light go on somewhere in, in one of the participants and understand at that point that a you're lot. in the presence of another survivor. I get that a lot. Um, I've had majors come up crying, men crying after I've done a presentation because um, I, I do a think process. So like I'll have them close their eyes and have them reflect on all sorts of things and then twist it to, you know, hey, what if I was your parents up here, your spouse or you know, so on and so forth, how would you be different perceiving, you know, sexual assault? And it affects people. I've had majors and captains come up, you know, these are officers, crying men. And um, I had one like three years ago. Um, I was in California and he came up to me and he says, my son is 18. He just started boot camp and I never talked to him about this stuff. Thank you for opening my eyes. And it was like, wow. Now, have you ever had the case where you had a perpetrator in your uh, presentations? Once. Um, I did not who, know who the perpetrator was. I was in New Mexico, and I was teaching a victim advocate course. Not teaching, but um, doing their training part. And the instructor told me that one of the people in the audience was a perpetrator, but they couldn't tell me who. And I don't know what effect I had. I couldn't figure out who it was. You know, not that I was really trying to zone in and look for him, but I am sure most of my presentations, there's probably a perpetrator in them. Now, how many of these uh, sessions are you doing a year now? Since I got cancer, I slowed down. 
COVID slowed me down to before that I was probably anywhere from probably about 30 to 60 a year. Wow. That's a full schedule. Yeah. I used to go every month to Fort Leonard Wood. I did a training for the Army's Criminal Investigation Division. Um, I dropped that in November due to you know, my cancer. Yeah, I, I tried to stay busy because, as I mentioned earlier to other people, I'm loud and, and I'm not ashamed to talk about this anymore. You know, Nobody should be ashamed. And we got to figure out how to stop this victim-shaving crap. Now, have you had any um, presentations before uh, industrial groups or trade groups? Yes, um, I have done some corporations. Um, I've done a couple of hospitals. My last technically trade was uh, for Syracuse Law School's uh, Veterans Clinic. I do uh, trainings probably every quarter for them. And um, I share what I've, not really what I've gone through, but the, the legal aspects of everything and for how the, how for them to talk to a, a veteran and what signs to look for and how to get them to trust them. I trying to branch away from the military and head more corporate or sports or, you know, something in that direction because uh, it gets tiring doing the military. Does the private sector take this more seriously than the military, do you think? To a point, yes. They in the military, they're uh, a lot stricter, so you're they're not allowed to goof around and joke during your presentation. Where in the private sector, um, they can, and that's unfortunately a little distracting for me when I'm at some office and we're doing something on sexual harassment, and you have uh, some folks making jokes about it and laughing about it. Yeah, I, uh, I've i been there. Uh, I know that we had, I worked for a very large company, and we had mandatory, you know, training on these issues, and there was always uh, some uh, joking going on, which uh, didn't fit, but... A lot, a lot of people don't realize when they're doing a joking, it's because they're uncomfortable. Yes, yes. And, I, I and think nobody right. wants to ever admit that. Oh, you've you've had some uh, you've been on some very large media outlets and gotten the word out uh, around the country and certainly around the world for that matter. Tell us about some of those uh, experiences, if you would. Um, so my most exciting one was, uh, believe it or not, on the Megyn Kelly Today Show. It was amazing seeing the audience and how they interacted and actually having people come and talk to you after the show from the show. So it was like, oh my gosh. And, you know, I got to meet some really great uh, young ladies who were rodeo stars, whatever you want to call them. But I've been in GQ Magazine. I've been in Time Magazine. I've been on a couple of other uh, TV shows out from uh, California. I've been on NPR shows, radio shows. I always get great questions. I always get great feedback. But then all of a sudden everything's quiet again. So knowing what you know now, what would you say to your 17-year-old self, if you could? It's really hard. <laughs> Don't go with them. Um, I, I, I would tell myself not to go with them. What do you mean, go with them? Uh, so my first assault happened because I showed up early to my duty station, early to the ship. So these six guys offered me to come hang out with them, and I went with them. I got it. And, and that was my first assault. Are there any... Other closing thoughts or anything else you'd like to like to say? For me, um, it, it's very important that if you're going through some type of thing, to not hold it in. Uh, I always try to make sure people know that, not to hold in the suffering and that. It, it'll eat you up. It ate me up. And there's always different outlets on being able to move forward and mental health issues or writing it down, finding somebody you trust. I always tell people, please, please don't hold it in. Okay. If folks would like to, and I understand that, you know, you're, you're battling an illness right now, you're battling cancer, but um, if someone would be interested to have you speak, I guess it could even be done over a Zoom call, right? Yes. Yep. How do they get in touch with you? How do they go about that? So I have a website. It's www.heathtalks.com. Um, it has a whole bunch of stuff of what I speak about um, and about me and 
um, a contact information part on the website so somebody could just reach out to me. Okay, and we'll ask our audience to uh, remember you and and hope for your recovery. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Heath Phillips. Good luck and uh, be well. All right. Thank you. Now, recently, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin has announced action to remove military sexual assault investigations from the unit chain of command. Well, here's some other news you might find interesting in the area. Rochester, New York, human error caused the crash of the Army National Guard helicopter during a January training exercise in upstate New York, which killed three soldiers. Actions taken by the crew during the January 20th training flight put the aircraft in a position where it became unrecoverable, according to Colonel Richard Goldberg, public affairs officer, for the New York State National Guard. The UH-1 Black Hawk medical evacuation helicopter crashed in a farmer's field near Menden, south of Rochester, about 6.30 p.m. National Guard officials said the crew had been conducting night vision goggle proficiency training. Killed in the crash were three soldiers on board, Chief Warrant Officer Stephen Skoda and Daniel Priel, both of Rochester, and Christian Koch of Honeyoak Falls. The families of all three, all experienced pilots with past deployments to Afghanistan, have been notified of the findings of the Guard's investigation into the crash, according to Goldberg. Quote, military aviation is inherently risky due to the complex flying environments that our pilots and crews have to prepare for, Goldberg said. It can also be an unforgiving environment with life and death decisions and actions, no matter the circumstance, whether mechanical or crew-related. In Kingston, New York, we spoke last year to Gavin Walters, who happens to be a friend of this program and manager of the Ulster County, Joseph P. Dwyer Vet-to-Vet Peer Counseling Service, located in the offices of the Hudson Valley Center for Veterans Reintegration, about their first Walk a Mile in My Shoes event. Well, they decided to do it again. Walk a Mile in My Shoes, a 56-mile journey of healing, community, and awareness. The Hudson Valley National Center for Veterans Reintegration Peer Support Program is going on another stroll, led by the Joseph P. Dwyer Vet-to-Vet Peer Counseling Program. The group is inviting the community to join virtually and walk at their own pace, beginning on Thursday, July the 1st, to support the individuals that will physically walk to raise awareness. You can see the Register Donate page for more details. It's a great way to participate and show your support. Rain or shine, the group will begin their walk on Sunday, August 29th from Tech City in Kingston, about 11 a.m., and they will conclude on Monday, August the 30th in the New York State Capitol grounds at Albany, approximately 10 a.m. The group will navigate through 12 towns and cities paralleling the Hudson River. Totaling approximately 56 miles, the goal is to walk 22 hours continuously without sleep from Kingston, New York to Albany and to represent the mental and physical challenges our military experience. The challenges encountered during this walk will be faced with strength, unity, and determination. And the walk's conclusion demonstrates what our service members are willing to endure for one another. This mission has twofold. First, to raise public awareness regarding the struggles veterans face after they are discharged from the armed forces. PTSD resulting from sexual trauma or combat-related guilt experienced while in the military, suicidal ideation, substance abuse, mental health issues, homelessness, joblessness, and estrangement from family and friends. 
and secondly to help the Hudson Valley National Center for Veterans Reintegration raise funding to support development of programs including their kayak building program, warrior riders workshop, financial readiness classes, and of course the vet to vet program. The steps that will be taken by every person will carry the heaviness that signifies the veterans who will take their lives before the conclusion of the walk. The faces at the end of the walk will reflect the community's commitment to help and support our service members. To learn more about the Walk a Mile in My Shoes event, you can visit hvcbr.org or their Facebook page at facebook.com slash vet2vetofu. You can contact our friend Gavin T. Walters, Sr., MSW. He's a United States Air Force vet, which makes him a pretty good guy, in my opinion. You can email Gavin at gavin.walters at hbcvr.org. You can give him a call at 845-481-4004, and you can register or donate at charity.pledgeit.org slash hvcvr. Our thanks this evening to Colonel Christopher Holchek, to Mr. Heath Phillips, retired U.S. Navy, Gavin Walters and Kevin Keevney of the Hudson Valley National Center for Veterans Reintegration and Ulster County vet to vet and to Jay Unger and Molly Mason for composing and performing what I've come to think of as the anthem of the Catskills, the iconic Ashokan Farewell. And to you for joining us once again. Please let your friends know about this program and share with us your comments and suggestions for future shows. Also, send us your upcoming events so we can talk about them on the air. You can email us at vets at wjffradio.org. Leave us a voicemail at 845-431-6500. And don't forget that Let's Talk Vets is now widely available as a podcast. Until our next formation, thanks for listening. Thank you for your service. Company dismissed. Hey, all you music lovers out there, this is Thane Peterson, host of WJFF's Living Jazz Show. Every Friday from noon to 2, I bring you the very best of the current jazz scene with a little bit of classic jazz thrown into the mix. Please join me every Friday from noon to 2 for Living Jazz with Thane Peterson. You're listening to Radio Catskill, on air, online, on your smartphone, and on your smart speaker. Hey, you want to hear a secret? Every week, the Retro Cocktail Hour digs deep into the record library for space-age bachelor pad music, tiki tunes from the 1950s, TV crime, jazz, swinging soundtracks, and more. It's not your father's record collection. Oh, wait. It is your father's record collection. The Retro Cocktail Hour on WJFF Radio Catskill in Jeffersonville, New York. Wednesday night at 8 on Radio Catskill.
WJFF Jeffersonville. On air at 90.5 FM. Streaming online at WJFFradio.org. On your smartphone and on your smart speaker. We are Radio Catskill.